This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Welcome to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam and I'm your host. And on this week's episode, Richard sits down with Jeff Martin. He's an FCA Executive Director and founder of Fields of Faith. Martin received his Master's of Divinity from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He lives in Kansas City with his wife, Julie, and he has three grown children, AJ, Ashley, and Alexis. And uh, if as you'll see from the uh, conversation, uh, Richard and Jeff go back quite a ways, and it's a really fun conversation and very insightful. Uh, Jeff has a new book that has just come out called Empower, The Four Keys to Leading a Volunteer Movement. For anyone who's leading volunteers or working with volunteers, some really great insights. And uh, as always, we'll have links to the book in the show notes. And uh, with that, I'll turn it over to Richard. Well, it's great to be with all of you again uh, this week, and uh, sometimes as you've been listening in on uh, the podcast, you know that I'll bring in a special guest, and uh, some guests are more special than others, and this is certainly one of those, a friend of mine from way back, Jeff Martin. He and I were actually working together when we were going through seminary at a psychiatric hospital and had all kinds of adventures there. And since then, Jeff's uh, served the Lord in some really interesting capacities. Our paths have crossed periodically. And now he actually is leading all the strategic partnerships for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, uh, headquartered out of Kansas City. But of course, they've got ministries all around the world and uh, one of the big and effective, fruitful Christian ministries in North America today. And we'll talk a bit about that. But uh, Jeff, welcome to uh, the podcast today. Well, Richard, it is great to be here and, and talking about when we first intersected <laughs> at the uh, Psychiatric Institute and uh, working nights, the night shift oh. uh, beside you as you were pursuing your <laughs> PhD. And uh, we got to inter- interact with some interesting people uh, during that time, but all the way up to today, um, it's been it's been a neat ride. So it's really good to be a part of Part of your podcast. Well, thank you. And, you know, thinking back uh, and some that are listening in may be in that place where you're just trying to get through school or you're just start starting out. And really, I think neither one of us could have imagined what we're doing now. We're back then, no. we we're just being faithful, trying to pay the bills, uh, fairly newlyweds. And, uh, it, but that's, that's the exciting thing about journeying with God is he knows what he's getting you ready for, even if you don't. And, mm-hmm. uh, Unfortunately, working in a psychiatric hospital was great preparation for a lot of what you and I have done ever since. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it was excellent preparation for ministry and uh, and helping us on un- literally understanding each other. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you made a lot more sense to me after. I, uh, well, well, Deb, maybe just tell us for a minute about uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes because that's such a great ministry. I've had the privilege of doing various things with them over the years, but for those. I can't imagine people not being familiar with them, but give us kind of a, just a snapshot of what uh, that ministry does. Yeah, Richard. So it's been around since 1954 and started uh, by a coach who recognized that professional athletes would use their platform to promote like various products, you know, like, um, you know, Coca-Cola and shaving products, things like that. But th- th- there was never this understanding amongst the professional athletes that they could use that platform to promote their faith in Jesus Christ. That just didn't happen. That wasn't mm-hmm. a norm. So, that, you know, they would go to church, et cetera, but there wasn't an intersection. And so this coach named Don McClannan 
came up with this idea to form a ministry that would help them be able to do that. And, and it was, and that's what started the fellowship of Christian athletes. And so ever since then, um, FCA has been, you know, combining a, a passion of sport, a passion of faith together. And we provide different environments, uh, for coaches and athletes from elementary all the way up to the elite pro, uh, status to be able to grow in their faith, uh, and to share their faith, uh, literally around the world. So that's what FCA has done. A lot of people are somewhat familiar, but, uh, we've expanded over the past, uh, past 10 years into, like you said, a global ministry. We're in 106 different countries. Oh, Sport really? is a worldwide, it's a worldwide, uh, everyone understands you roll a ball out there and you have a group that understand each other. And then the ability to in intersect faith with that, mm. to share the gospel around the world has been huge. So that's just a little snapshot of what FCA is is and where we we come from and you have you have something called huddles on a lot of local Correct. schools and universities mm -hmm. and which is so if someone was just in their city trying to find a an fca huddle where how would they do that yeah you can go to our website and just connect you can put in what's your zip code and and just click in there to find staff and you can connect there or you can look at local websites and and see um what where the minute history is and some contact information like that. But huddles have been there from the very beginning. It's our, it's our small groups, yeah. uh, basically. And it's, it's no different than within churches. It's just wrapped through a, a competitive mindset and uh, looking at the scripture and growing in their faith. So they're on schools at every level uh, for coaches and athletes. Mm -hmm. That's a great, great ministry. And uh, I've heard some wonderful stories over the years. Of course, sports is just kind of a universal thing that just brings people together and uh and builds a lot of bridges uh and so that's that's wonderful and i um now jeff you you were a partner you've done a number of things you were, uh, at one point you were a youth minister and did had a great youth ministry and um and i know you've been involved in sports for a long time as well but at a certain point you you had an unusual um kind of god experience in developing a very unique ministry uh, that uh, I, I'd love for you just to kind of describe what, what happened with that and uh, what has become of that since uh, you started it. Yeah, well, just like you, uh, Richard, and a lot, of, a lot of the listeners, as far as ministers, we all try and find ways to, uh, you know, to establish ministry in a variety of ways where it might be a, a small group. We, we come up with events. Mm -hmm. We try, you know, all types of things that are out there. And uh, and I had done that uh, with with uh, with the church that I was at. I was I served at First Southern Baptist Church for uh, four and a half years, and went from there to start serving as an area representative with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in Southwest Oklahoma. And so you're always trying new things. And I I had been in ministry probably about ten years and got really frustrated. My kids were getting ready to go into junior high and and go into that. Yeah, you know, that grinder of, you know, junior high and high school. And I thought, uh, Richard, I was on the back porch one morning. I was thinking, you know, I've been doing youth ministry and doing all, you know, discipling people and come up with these events to really change the culture for Christ. And they were going in junior high. And I realized it, it, like the culture was winning. And I was like, mm -hmm. what am I doing? Like, like what, what, what am I doing? So very frustrated and I happened to be reading in Second Chronicles 34 that morning, you know, in, in my quiet time. 
and it was a story about Josiah, a young king, and his country had lost the scripture and uh, had was totally godless, and he knew to clean out the the temples, and as they cleaned it out, they found the book, you know, the Pentateuch, and they brought it to him. He read it, and he goes, "Oh my gosh, we're you know th this is the direction, and we're violating." So he repented on behalf of the of the nation and he's just this young king he wasn't a priest he wasn't so he brought everyone together re read to them the Pentateuch and said this is where I'm going to stand and challenged them to do the same and I I was looking at that and I was like and I thought this question I go what's the difference in a country that has no scripture and doesn't know you know where to go how to follow God in a country that has tons of scripture but doesn't read it and doesn't know where to go and follow God. The end result is the same. <laughs> and so I, my, it, it, I just thought if that worked for jo Josiah, I wonder if that would work today. Get everyone together in one place, have a young leader challenge their peers to read the word of God <laughs> and that the scripture changes, can change the culture, not necessarily programs and things like that. And so that was the birth of this idea. And I called it fields of faith. Hmm. And, um, and it was very countercultural because we were giving the mic to teenagers, not to, uh, you know, the experts, hmm. not to the, you know, um, uh, the, the really gifted speakers and the, uh, musicians and pizza party, you know, all that type of stuff. We're just like ordinary, untrained people, give them the mic and share a challenge and see how the word of God had changed them. Hmm. And it was countercultural. A lot of my the people I went to said it would never work because you have to have a hook. That was always the idea. You're not going to get them there without a hook. Right. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, they're not going to listen because it's an ADD generation, you know, the attention deficit and it won't work. And what we found was that when you gave the mic to ordinary students, you could hear a pin drop because they heard each other up there. And so in addition to what God has put together with, or, you know, with, with pastors and the leaders, the ability to open that up to ordinary volunteers to be able to share is what what made fields of faith explode and it's and now after 16 years there's been over 2 million people attend these rallies that are all over the country hmm. and it's jumped to other other uh countries as well because hmm. it's very simple so that's sort of the that that's the background of where fields of faith start and it just keeps it keeps going on. So, what would like an event be like if you went to a field of faith? Does it happen in the same time period or throughout the year, mm -hmm. just different times? And where would you go yeah, to one shoot, typically? Yeah, we shoot for what, what we wanted to have some some continuity to 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 create some where if if you're if there's three kids at a baseball field in Maine and ten, we have some that are over ten thousand down in Texas attendance, but they're on the same day. So they're standing together. Hmm. It's the second Wednesday in October traditionally, okay. but it, uh, not, not every community can do that. So it's like, Hey, whenever you can do it is great. But the, the primary, the wave effect is the second Wednesday of October in the program. We just, we, we just say, find key student leaders that are walking with Christ, have them, you know, share how the word of God has been working in the their life, not what their youth pastor said, not what their pastor said, how the word of God has been working in their life. And they share that. So their testimonies are all unique, all different. And you have three or four, and then, then one of them will share a salvation testimony, how they came to know Christ. And then what we 
typically do is have what we call an impact adult at the end say, this is what you heard. So they were the heroes of the program. And then adult just sort of wraps that up and, and will give an invitation to respond in various ways. And that's what a program looks like. So it's very mm. simple. Mm. Uh, sometimes there's music, sometimes there isn't, and that's it. Wow. Wow. And yet you said you've already had two, you said two million? Two, two, yeah, million. two million we started wow. looking at it and and it's very it's volunteer led uh i mean the, all the churches partner together and they're you know in the community but again it's volunteer speakers there's no outside and sometimes they'll have come in which is great that's up to the you know to the leaders but majority are volunteer led and um so when so they'll uh, they'll take that over and it looks you know unique to them in that that community hmm. and that's the beauty of it is yeah. that it's owned and it's it's led by the volunteers wow well you you mentioned the keyword volunteer and i wanted just to, uh, listeners to know you have a new book that you finally wrote about this and what you learned mm -hmm. from that and it's really phenomenal to just you're, you're just searching for what god might use in your own context and mm -hmm. the next thing you know it's it's spread out all over the country and uh you've got thousands and thousands of people showing up every year and uh, and so you wrote a book called Empower, the four keys to leading a volunteer movement that's just hot off the press, just come out recently. Uh, and uh, and there's there's two things just wanted to ask about that. One is, this is a leadership podcast. We're always talking about how do you how do you move people onto God's agenda? How do you come into a place that maybe is not doing much or doing things poorly and turn it around? Um, and so it's all about leadership, but. I've always contended that leading volunteers in many ways required greater leadership than leading paid staff. Because if you're paying people, you can always incentivize them by their pay, by an increase in pay, a bonus. But if you've got volunteers showing up, uh, they're not, there's, there's nothing necessarily in it for them in terms of pay and that kind of reward. Um, and so for me, you've got, you've got to find other ways to reward people, to motivate them. Um, and, uh, it's, 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 it's a lot easier if you can just say you'll get a, a paycheck in two weeks, but, uh, to, to mobilize that many volunteers, uh, it, it requires a certain kind of leadership. And, uh, and you actually mentioned in your, in your book, you've got four, four ways in particular, uh, and, uh, maybe just, just take a moment and just, just walk us through those four ways or, or, or things that you, you consider important in working and mobilizing volunteers. Yeah, that's that's one of the things we did, Richard. Is like literally after 16 years, I you know you you just doing your ministry, and that's this is part this is part of our ministry rhythm in October, and I stopped. And I was like, you know, there's over a quarter of a million people that gather at five, over 500 of these stadiums across the country now in Korea and South Africa and all of these different places, um, and you start going, well, why is this still working? Like why, what's special about this? Cause there's the shelf life with every event, you know, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the idea was, Hey, let's do a, let, let's just do, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to do a, an autopsy. Is there some things we can pull out of here that can be applied anywhere in, in other movements, just principles like, mm -hmm. like that, not a process, but uh, almost like, uh, spices to a mix, right? You can add some. And, and that's how 
I approached the book and came mm-hmm. in uh, that resulted in four principles. And, and the principles are this, the first one would be value. And I would say with volunteers, you're exactly right. I used to say this, I, I'd get so frustrated. I'd come home to my wife and I'd go, I wish I could fire a volunteer, you know, <laughs> like they didn't show up or they didn't, you, but you can't, right? I mean, you can't. And uh, so you do, you, you do have to do that. And I would say that there's a difference between managing volunteers and moving them. And so this mm. book is about, is about creating movement within your management. So now every organization, if you're a leader of volunteers, you have to manage them. You have to tell them, this is what you need to do. Here's your expectations. Here's the training here. You have to be good at that. But, but that can be somewhat, uh, it's like when, when, with your staff, it's somewhat transactional, like you, you're managing them, but, but, I think I, what I've seen is that if you can move the heart of the volunteers within that management, that's when you go to another level. Yeah. And so these four principles, the first one I said is, is value. And I would say, if you're going to release a movement, if you're going to move these volunteers, you have to trust the ordinary because hmm. this, this idea of the ordinary and call them to something crazy sometimes <laughs> like something that is beyond and what happens as leaders is that many times we approach our volunteers as widgets Hmm. or pawns in our organization for the mundane task again that that is needed we do have i mean that's what volunteers but at times to inject something into the into what you're doing that unleashes this desire that i believe is in every volunteer there's amazing influence in every ordinary volunteer yeah it's sitting there. They want to be part of something against all odds. So, you know, Jeff, I, I've had people say to me, I've heard pastors say this, uh, we, people are just too busy these days. You, you know, we, we need, we've got things we need to be done in the church or in this ministry or whatever local organization, but you just can't get volunteers anymore. Um, and, and how would you respond to that? Cause I, you know, I, I talk to people like you that are, that are seeing thousands of volunteers and saying, well, obviously people will volunteer for some things and some people or causes. And then for other people, they can't get someone just to volunteer to go and help mow the church lawn on, on Saturday. And, and literally, I, I see leaders, I see pastors that have to do everything because they can't get one volunteer. And then others are inspiring thousands. So for someone who says, well, I, I'm struggling to get people to volunteer right now, uh, you, you've given us a great first point, but anything you just say, any advice you give to people that are just dying because they can't get volunteers to help with their program, their ministry? Yeah, and I think I think it's the approach of how you see the volunteer. So if you see the volunteer as, like I said, so, you know, someone to fulfill mundane tasks in the organization, many times as leaders, what we'll do is we have that mindset, they're so busy. Mm-hmm. We apologize to them. Oh my, I know you're so busy, but can you, and what we'll do is we'll lower the bar of expectation to where if we can get a warm body to <laughs> work in the nursery, right? Like, or just to do, to mow the lawn, if we can just get them to step over, we just lower that bar and we get them to step over. Then we clap, we celebrate and we say, thank you. And we get a sheet cake and some punch and, <laughs> and have a thank you party at the end of the year. Right? <laughs> so we've accomplished something. So the, the point is, is that, that there's people out there and and as leaders we have to trust them and so what i always say is you don't value what you don't trust Hmm. and people know if you don't trust them by how low you bring it and so i'm and i'm not saying have this high level all the time because that burns people out 
but the ability to cast the vision of what you're wanting to do. And at times going, you know what, we're, we're going to take this thing on. Hmm. And that, that straightens the spine. And so you insert that in there. And so no different than with, with fields of faith, we gave students the mic and normally they listened. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, they go, Whoa, Whoa, they, they trust us with this and they value that. And so now that creates this momentum and this excitement. And I would say Craig Rochelle says it this way, he has a great quote. He says, if you want workers, give them a task. If you want leaders, give them authority. And many times as leaders, we, we don't want to risk giving over some of that authority. And again, I'm not saying give everything over and it's a free for all, but you have to accept some risk that if you raise that bar, you may, that, that, that you know, that opportunity, you may fail. Yeah. You may fail big time, but the people there will know that you trusted them with something. And so I think that's one of the greatest challenges as leaders is to accept that risk and at times raise that that level and bring people in go, if you do not show up, we fail. Hmm. And then people go and, and that inserts that movement. So that would be my input on, on that is to tr look for ways to insert that into what you're already doing hmm. of raising the level of expectation. And, it, and you know, it's always easier to blame people for not following instead of looking in the mirror to ask, why are they not responding to my Absolutely. leadership? And so I would say I, it, people are busy, but they're not too busy to invest themselves in something that matters and that, that they get some kind of return from. And so if you're not getting anyone volunteering, then maybe you're not offering anything or the right kind of challenge that people would be willing to invest their valuable time into. And so, yeah. you know, you, you and I would say, go ahead. No, yeah, go, you go ahead. ahead. You go ahead. Well, I was just going to say to that real quick, I, I think two things are imperative there is, is, and I get asked this, so what, how can we do that? Well, inclusion is one thing. In other words, why don't you ask them about something? What we, we end up, we, we, we end up prescribing things to people all the time. Like here, here, take this pill. You know, I'm the leader, take this pill. We ought to ask them, include them in some of these things. What do you think we ought to do? How do you think we ought to approach this? And so instead of taking the pill, you're having them, you're inviting them to make the pill, right? <laughs> and and so inclusion. And then the other thing is elevation. We just talked about elevate their the expectation of so include them in something and then go, okay, it's time for, for you to lead out and let's go do this together. Mm. So that was just a, yeah. when you mentioned that, I, I wanted to bring yeah. up those two. And certainly just recognition, points. you know, if you're, all you got to do is let volunteers slave away for you and then you take all the credit for you to yeah. All, yeah. all of a sudden struggle to have anyone volunteering anymore. Just, you know, you, you, you yeah, why won't they mow the grass? <laughs> just, but it's, uh, you know, I always tell people you, you have to pay volunteers. You, you just don't necessarily pay them with money. But you, you pay them with value, you pay them with gratitude, with recognition, letting them know that they're part of something God is a part of. I and mean, people, they want something to take away, just if it's just the satisfaction of just being a part of a team that's doing something worthwhile. But they've got to somehow feel like, I just invested my time, what, what did I get from that? And for some people, as a leader, if no one's volunteering, I'm suggesting you you haven't come up with the right pay scale yet uh, of either gratitude or recognition or something, but whatever you're offering, it's not worth them giving up a Saturday for. So, uh, so that's the first one, but you've got, you've got three other keys. And so valuing is yeah. the first one. What, what else do you have to do? Yeah, we can uh, rip through these really, they're really good. I love talking about them. The second <laughs> one would be simplicity, hmm. simplicity. And I would say like, if you want to release a movement or create movement, 
keep it simple. And there's a great African proverb that I love that captures this, this concept, this principle. And it, it's this, it says, it's better to teach one idea to hundreds of people than hundreds of ideas to one. And again, when you're talking about volunteer movement, the ability to keep that simple, I think many times as leaders, we, we, we say, hey, we need to do this, 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 here's your resource book, here's the, you know, all of this information, and they're looking around going, now, what is it we're supposed to be, you know, what, mm-hmm. what is this great cause or whatever, and I think that can be a challenge, is, and again, I'm not talking about simple, dumb, mm-hmm. I'm just talking about simple, direct, so if, I would say complexity kills movement yeah but simplicity sparks it yeah and so look at what you're doing is there a way that you can spend time to drive to more simple this is the expectations that we have in the clear challenge to this awesome you know cause that we're about and communicate that with clarity and with passion and many times as leaders we just we just confuse our volunteers and they go well i want to help but i think this is what we're supposed to do hmm. so that would be the second principle that we learned is simplicity oh good yeah and i i've been there where sometimes the, the leader was having to continually explain over and over again and you you thought well if you have to keep explaining it maybe it's too too complicated to begin with uh and i found movement certainly if, if they're going to duplicate themselves and uh, expand you if they're going to multiply it's got to be simple if the more complex yes. it is the harder it is to, to to duplicate it somewhere else in another place and with other people so yeah keep it you know and again i just keep thinking if you if you're struggling with volunteers value them give them something worth doing uh and and certainly just keep it a simple easy to follow uh, not that they're stupid but but uh, that you need to have made it as, as easy as possible to participate and get involved yeah. and uh great well then what else what else would you say yeah and that's i think uh, the third principles we looked at this was this the the term commonality hmm. commonality i would say to release a movement you know you don't you you want to with your volunteers you don't want them to just take in something but to take on something and so it's this idea, there's a power of a common enemy. So Richard, many times as leaders, we will come up with smart goals, right? Hey, here's our quarterly goals and this is what we want to achieve. And here's the attendance and, and outreach, all these different things. So, which is very important having goals like that. But I think goals can be, uh, if you can take that like a diamond and, and turn it and then the light hits it, it diffracts in a different way. And I think looking at, defining instead of common goals not instead but in addition to common goals what is a can you frame up what you're wanting to do maybe in certain initiatives from the idea of a common enemy because people unite and and they move if there's a clearly defined enemy it just unites people it's just in the human heart Hmm. right and mark green put it put this way because you got you know all right so what does that mean Mark Green, I don't know if you know Mark, he's, he's his chief strategy officer for Hobby Lobby. He states his principle in this way. Uh, I thought this is brilliant. He said, I'm a part of a collaborative effort called Every Tribe, Every Nation. And he said, it's a partnership between ministry partners and gospel patrons to eradicate Bible poverty. Hmm. He says, we want to make sure all 7,000 people groups have access to scripture in their heart language by 2033. Now that last sentence is a great smart goal. Hmm. 7,000 people groups, access to scripture in their heart language by 2033. You know, it's, it, you know, it's, um, it, it's measurable, it's attainable, all of those type of things. But 
for me, the key, the, co the common enemy is that those three words. They want to eradicate Bible poverty. So what are we going to take on? We're going to take on poverty, Bible poverty. And what are we going to do with it? We're going to bring it down. We're eradicating it. Now, the, the volunteer is like, ooh, I want to be part of that. We're taking on something. There's a challenge. There's a common enemy. The enemy is Bible poverty. So the ability to look, can you infuse what is a common enemy that you, and, and that can be a part, you, you can do that with anything mm -hmm. instead of just saying common goals. So that would be, and that's what we did with, with fields of faith. And I've done that with a lot of different initiatives is to approach it from that, you know, that way as well mm -hmm. uh, of commonality. Mm -hmm. Well, certainly, and you're seeing this today with all the different uh, social media uh, groups and uh, friends. It, it's it, you're trying to align yourself with a, a part of something bigger than yourself, a tribe, right, a group right. that has a, a common goal or a common enemy, but something that unites you with others. People are looking for that, and you know the. In, in some ways, the sad thing: the church has has offered all of that when we're doing it well, but we don't always communicate that well. And uh, mm. if it's just simply just come and sit in a pew. Uh, for an hour or so on Sunday, that's not necessarily as engaging as taking on a common enemy, uh, doing something together. Um, but uh, but that's good. Yeah, I and that that again that comes from leadership. You know, people don't right. necessarily just uh, know that's what they're doing unless the leader communicates that in a way that makes mm. sense. Well, you got one more. Yeah, yeah and you got one more uh, still to go. Yeah, you're not done was, yet. <laughs> we're, we're rolling. Yeah, we got to get this in. Yeah, the last one would be this. Uh, Richard is is uh, ownership is a principle, and really that's a result of those first three. Hmm. The idea of ownership. Every every leader would love to have their volunteers own their part, hmm. right? They're passionate and they own it. And uh, and I would say to release a movement, don't attend the concert, but be the concert. That's what your your volunteers you want them. Not, they're not just out there attending the concert. You want them to be the concert. And I use this example uh, of there, there was a guy in Sassana, Italy named Fabio Zaffanghini back, back in 2015. And it's a small town. And he had this dream. He said, nothing, dreams do not come true, never come true in Italy. That was what he was saying. That's the United States or somewhere else, Italy, nothing. And he kept this idea this big idea, this dream, he want, he, he was a huge fan of the Foo Fighters, right? Yeah. And he wanted them to come to Sassana, Italy and do a concert. So we started talking to people and they're like, are you crazy? Like they're a global brand. They had sold out Wimbledon three years. I mean, uh, three nights in a row, over 250,000 people had attended their concert and Sassana only has a population of 100,000. They're like, they're not coming here. So he, he, he came up with this idea, Richard. He said, he goes, why don't we get a bunch of volunteer musicians, you know, like drummers and and uh, guitarists, etc. And we let's get a thousand of them and some singers and let's do their concert in a field, and let's record that. We'll do we'll do one song, one song, and we'll record it, and then we're going to send it to the Foo Fighters and ask them to come here. So they did that, and and again, this whole thing depended on volunteers showing up. Well, guess what they did. Hmm. It wouldn't have happened. They raised the bar that that value level. If you don't if you don't show up, it doesn't happen. So they did that, and they showed up and they played they played this one song, and they put it on YouTube and they sent it to uh, the Foo Fighters, and it immediately went viral. Hmm. 
you know, millions of hits. And uh, within five months, guess who played a concert in Sassana, Italy? It was mm-hmm. the Foo Fighters. Mm-hmm. And that became this, it was this viral thing, millions, 75 million hits, and it just continues to grow to this day. And, um, and, and I've looked at that and, and that captures what we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Fa- Fabio, he, he showed value, right? He showed value. He, he said, he was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, if you don't show up, this does not happen. He, he took the risk that it could totally fail. All right. And so he, he put that out there. Simplicity. They played one song. Mm-hmm commonality dreams never happen in italy let's take that on no don't take it in and and then ownership if you you can look at that youtube video and you can see the smiles and the excitement as they're playing i mean they became the concert they were the concert they didn't attend that and so if we can do that with our volunteers Hmm. that's what moves the heart of the volunteers. And then when you move the heart, it's not transactional. Don't worry. That goes way beyond a paycheck. Yeah. And when you can move the heart, that's what ownership is. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, in sports, they will run through a wall for you. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that captures those four principles, Richard, um, in a succinct way. And, um, and it is possible. I know it's very, it's volunteers can be very frustrating, (laughs) but if you, you can if you can take the risk to lean into elevating that and let them not just attend the concert be the concert at times i think you're going to unleash some influence that you didn't know was there mm-hmm. and it will increase the the reach and the capacity not only of you as a leader but of the organization that you're leading well and certainly we're just in a time where you, you just can't pay people to do everything that you need to be done certainly in church and mm-hmm. christian ministry you, you you're going to have to have volunteers or you're going to have a very limited uh, reach in what you could pay for. And, but, but there's really an un, un, unlimited potential. If you can mobilize volunteers, there's, there's no limit really to what, what can happen. And uh, so I think this is such a relevant, uh, important subject. And I, and I just feel like a lot of uh, leaders have perhaps neglected volunteers and developing the skill set that's required to work with volunteers. We're, mm-hmm. we're fine about put, putting out a one, one ad and just hire somebody to do that. But to be the kind of leader that inspires people to just give of their time, their money, their effort, uh, for a cause they feel like is worthy. Now that's a, that's a different kind of leadership and, uh, perhaps an un, untapped potential for a lot of us as leaders. And so you've written this uh, great book. It's very interesting. You got some really, really interesting stories, like the one you just told about the Foo Fighters that is in your book and uh, just a well-written, great illustrated book, uh, very practical. Uh, We'll put the, uh, all the information in the show notes. uh, So if you'd like to know how to order this book and read it, uh, and maybe contact Jeff. We can put all of Jeff's ways to, to reach him or mm-hmm. websites and so on. And, mm-hmm. and if you haven't been involved in uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, uh, just a great, great ministry. They're, they're very active here in Atlanta uh, and in some of the schools, the high schools near here where, where we live. Uh, and I'm going to be, I think I'm speaking in a chapel there at your uh, headquarters in Kansas City, I think in November or sometime like that. I'll be over your way and 
I don't know if you ever come Absolutely. down and go to Chapel or not, uh, Jeff, but I'll <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I usually try and grab a nap at that time. No, so hey, you see, you have been seriously, Richard. Thank you in your ministry for for pouring into our our leaders in the variety of levels, from the highest level uh, down to our field level. You, you've been so faithful. Uh, to respond to the call and pour into our leaders. I know that um, you're held in such a high regard. So seriously, I want to say thank you uh, for uh, agreeing and committing whenever there's an opportunity to pour into our leaders. Mm, Well, thank you. I hope people will pick up this book, look at the four keys to working with and developing a volunteer movement. And uh, may these be some exciting days as uh, we lead and we learn how to work with volunteers and inspire them to go to places they never would have gone on their own. Well, thanks, Jeff, and uh, hope to God continues to use you powerfully in the days to come. All right. Thanks, Richard. Appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners, so email us at podcast at blackv.org.